Hello, hello, and welcome to the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute podcast. The GCLI has developed a pedagogy of leadership which combines brain science, leadership studies, cultural competency, and developmental psychology. Its mission is to teach teachers to teach leadership to students. This is your go-to podcast for discussions, tips, and stories for leadership and leadership education. And I am your host, Catherine Birdie, but please call me Birdie. Our world is in dire need of people just like you, people who are committed to building communities of leaders, young and old. So let's get busy leading the next generation of leaders, and thank you for joining us. Hello, GCLI. Today's podcast is in partnership with ISACS, the Independent School Association of Central States, which serves over 240 schools and 90,000 students in 13 states. To talk to us today about sticky leadership, we have ISAC's Executive Director, Mary Minacho, and ISAC's Director of Learning, Jill Webb. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about how to become sticky leaders, but before we jump in, I'd love to ask each of you to tell us a little bit more about your work at ISAC's. And Mary, why don't we start with you? Welcome. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm delighted to be the executive director here and uh, to have this position following many years of headship and teaching and working in independent schools that has turned out to be my passion. Awesome. Such great work. And thank you for being here today. And what about you, Jill? Um, Hi, everybody. Jill Webb, Isaac's Director of Learning, um, started my path in inner city public school, shifted to independent schools just ended uh, a stretch as being a lower school head after 35 years at my school, and I'm in year 21 (laughs) of being Isaac's Director of Learning. Amazing. Amazing. Well, certainly you both have seen your fair share of leadership, and so Mary, I'll ask you, to you, what does the concept of sticky leadership mean? It really means being fully content and connected to the role that you are serving in, whatever that role is. It's your alignment to the mission of the organization. It's the alignment with your personal goals and your personal trajectory. It's finding meaning in the work that you do every day and uh, seeing how the work that you do every day is, is leading to what you're I'll just say your higher purpose is. Yes, I love that. Jill, do you have anything to add? I was just going to say that when you are in a relationship with the school and the schools in a relationship with you, that it is Velcro, that both parties have brought what they need to the relationship and that if either one of them is missing, they don't stick. And so there's a responsibility on both sides to make that work and make it work over time. Is it particularly interesting or important that we look at this concept now, today, maybe post-pandemic or with all of the many distractions or stresses that are pulling on teachers or administrators? It's very important that we be able to take a fresh look at what stickiness means. We've come through really trying times for 
really everybody involved in teaching and learning. And we're not entirely out of it yet, but we do have the opportunity to uh, understand our roles more clearly and to understand why we're doing what we're doing a, a little more profoundly. Yeah, and I would add to that that um, schools that had, that had really effective practices that brought meaning um, across the board for multiple roles in the school, a lot of those practices either got um, put on the back shelf or discontinued during COVID. And it is sort of a slow return to some of the practices that were the most meaningful and had the most direct impact on teachers feeling connected, certainly to the school. Um, but maybe even for the folks who are uh, responsible for leading the school and even knowing um, the teachers and um, what they'd like their career paths to be. Um, we just haven't had the time together and the meaningful conversations uh, to make that as sticky as maybe it had been. Oh, I love that. I love that. Let's let's unpack some of that a little bit. What are some of those practices that you see or ways to develop um, the stickiness, the Velcro, if you will. Well, Jill, shall we talk about school culture? <laughs> yes, we absolutely should because it's everything. Yeah, why don't you start off? Well, I mean, I, I think that the school culture is the umbrella um, that covers everything underneath it. And um, everyone in the school contributes to that, but leaders certainly play a role in in creating and sustaining, maintaining a culture where teachers can um, aspire to lead either by um, taking on a formal titled position or just being a person of influence in the culture. And there are a lot of ways that um, heads of school or folks in other leadership positions can both make that safe for teachers and can create kind of fertile ground for growing teacher leaders and folks who want to contribute in those ways. And they can, I think they can develop it or they can um, make it more difficult for folks to contribute. And, and Mary, maybe you want to talk a little bit about um, some of the things that administrators can do specifically um, to make it a safe place for teachers to kind of step out, take those risks, and contribute in ways they haven't. Absolutely. And just before I get to that, I want to say just a little bit more about culture as the daily comings and goings in your, in your school environment. And the fact that students are watching us all the time and they are learning from us. So what are those little cues that we are giving each other in passing? I'm talking here about the adults. Is it friendly? Is it comfortable between us? Is there a trusting environment that we're, that we're modeling? Those things go so far in creating the culture that, uh, that students are going to uh, glean from us and, and replicate themselves. And so, yeah, to unpack that a little bit, you know, here are some things that, uh, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about David Rock's SCARF model, S-C-A-R-F. And I'm going to dive a little bit into, into what that means, because this SCARF model really helps us to, uh, to be able to unpack what it means 
and how we can respond when we either feel threatened or when we feel rewarded. So I'm just going to quickly going to take you through this. You can always Google David Rock and uh, scarf model and all kinds of examples will come up for you. But just very quickly, the S stands for status. So that means what is your what's your relative importance in the in the organization and to other people? Do you know where you stand? And the C is certainty. How well are you able to know what's coming next to be able to predict the, the future of what's happening in your environment? The A is for autonomy. What's your sense of control over the events that are happening around you? And relatedness, how safe do you feel with those that you are with? And fairness, how, um, how fair do you feel that uh, exchanges are between you and others? Is it typically initiated by the administrators that you work with or students or, I mean, excuse me, mm. teachers or both? Oh, yeah. I think it's so important for everybody to have role clarity, to know what they are doing and why and what their scope of influence is and is not, and to know when you fall short, how can you how can you fix it? How does it get uh, how does it get better? Do you just get uh, you know blamed or shamed, or is there a path forward when you when you make a mistake? Ho- hopefully, there's an environment where people are are able to bring up what their concerns are from either direction. Yeah, and I was going to add to that that um, the safety versus risk that if you are in a culture where you seek innovation and you're looking for creativity and you're looking for collaboration, you also have to provide safety um, when something doesn't go exactly as planned. So what's the tolerance for risk and what's the tolerance for for um, perhaps Amazing. making a mistake. Yes. Can you come back from so that? And Mary in this, mentioned, you know, shame. In this framework um, and in this take many culture, those, um, what are some of the roles that teachers can play? Felt, Mary, I'd um, love to sort of out point to um, for maybe your personal a story with something some of that you this. thought would be really innovative and creative and it didn't go as planned. So that becomes part of the culture. Um, It's not only for the person involved, but for those who are um, surrounding that person. Everybody sees how that plays out. And there are going to be people who say, oh, I saw how that went. I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to take that chance. I'm going to stay in my lane. I know it's safe. I'm going to teach with my door closed. Um, and not invite others into my practice. So that that has a profound impact on the culture going forward. So the response to risk, I would pull out as um, exceptionally important. I'm happy to share uh, my path to leadership that started uh, so, so, so long ago in a faraway place called Lima, Peru, where my only saleable skill was teaching English. And so I uh, was hired to teach at an English language institute and worked for Joseph Atea, one a, a person that I will just remark as, as an amazing leader. And um, I had not long been there. Um, some of the things that I really valued about him was his clarity, his expectations, and uh, just his general support of, of me as a fledgling teacher. Well, the day came when he announced his retirement. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. So I applied for his position. 
Can you imagine? I applied for his position and they took me seriously. Uh, they, they gave me an interview and so kindly explained while I was absolutely unqualified for this position and yet talked about a path forward, what I could do in the organization to, um, to ready myself for, for a next step. I also want to say just as the, uh, so that's a, a way forward, taking a chance and actually being supported by, by the administrator in charge. But I want to say another thing about Joseph Atea and his absolute clarity. So as someone who taught at the Institute, you were allowed to be late three times. And then if you were late a third time after that, you, you know, you had to be released from your position. There was just a zero tolerance uh, around that. And so I had, uh, I, you know, I came to work on a bus, whatever, and, and I was often uh, running in at the last minute. Well, I had had two tardies uh, to my name. And on my way to work, I found a, a wounded cocker spaniel on the street. And I stopped and picked it up and I brought it in and I took it into his office and I said, I'm going to go teach, but this wounded dog, you have to watch the dog. So he said, sure. Yeah, I'm happy to watch the dog taught my class. And when I came back, he said, you know, this is the third time you've been late. I'm going to have to let you go. And he did. That was, I, I was fired from my position for helping a wounded dog. And, um, and, and life went on. I did other things. <laughs> but he did it so kindly. I hardly even knew it was happening. And, um, but but then, you know, later I went on and I applied for other positions and he wrote me a letter of reference that I still keep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I would um, attach to, to Mary's story about applying for that job, um, the job that she wasn't qualified for. But there was some mindset she had that propelled her to apply. And I think that the first step to even considering being a leader is to start kind of thinking like a leader. And before you maybe even voice your interest or um, share with others that that's where you want to go, I think it starts with a mindset of um, sitting in a meeting and thinking, what if or what about? Um, just very informal, quiet thoughts that you have on your own. I think then get spoken into reality. The more you think them, eventually you say them, and then um, you might take action related to that. Um, in terms of uh, teachers, um, I've worked with, I don't know, probably thousands of new teachers over the last 30 years, both formally and informally, and there are some things we know, and that is that the, um, the impact of having a mentor is really important and critical to everyone, no matter what their role is. But the success of that relationship rests with the person's willingness to be mentored. So if somebody offers support or um, a path forward or opportunities and your response is always, I got it, nope, I'm fine, um, you won't benefit from all that they have to offer. So I would say first is um, the, the person's willingness to be mentored. And then um, asking questions. We There's research that says um, in the first six weeks, the folks who don't ask any questions are really sorry by week 12 that they didn't ask questions. And so it is not a sign of weakness to say, help me understand, or 
um, help me um, put this in context. Where did this come from? And always having that in your back pocket. And we say that to new teachers all the time when they're just starting new at their school. Put in your back pocket the phrase, help me understand, because it's a non-evaluative statement question um, and it's not offensive to anyone as opposed to, you know, what in the heck are you doing, um, which might be um, off-putting for some. Um, and then being willing to say yes, um, if provided an opportunity um, to ask enough questions to understand sort of the scope of the ask, but um, be willing to say yes in some places where you think, I don't know if I actually know how to do that yet, but I'd like to try, or I'd like to work with people who have done it, you know, and have them mentor me and sort of get out of your lane a bit. If you are in your classroom and working in your team, but you're not actually building relationships beyond that, um, yeah, this is a chance to start building those those connections. And, and that was my next thought is, um, you know, that the, those relationships can lead to mentoring, that you find people who have a skill that you don't have, and you don't have to have one mentor. You can have a lot of mentors. You can have people who will mentor you for different purposes. And we have often said, you know, collect them and trade them with your friends. Like you can have as many mentors as you need. And most people are honored to be asked. I mean, you might say, I saw you lead that meeting or um, facilitate kind of a tricky conversation. And I was so impressed with the way you did that. Talk to me about either how you got good at that or your approach to managing that particular circumstance. Um, and then hang out with people who are of a like mindset. Um, if there are other people who are interested in growing the way you are, find them and encourage and cheer for each other and hang out where they hang out. If that's before school or after school, um, the more conversations you have with those people, I think, um, the more roots and the more branches you're spreading out into the community, which often result in uh, more opportunity down the road um, and, and helps connect you to your meaning uh, that Mary referenced at the beginning of why you're there in the first place and just keep revisiting that. Um, those, those would be at the top of my head that we work with new teachers, but I think they apply directly to new leaders as well. And to, to that, Jill, I, I think this might be a good place. Yeah, sorry. This might be a good place to add in about um, circles of, of influence and kind of mapping your relationships uh, within the organization. You might do this at a couple of different times during the year. Um, and that what I mean by that is, uh, you know, draw a little circle that is you. And then some spokes out, sort of a brainstorming map of who are the people that you relate to within the, the school culture, the school organization. And, um, you know, and, and think about those. Which are the clusters that are working for you and which are the ones that are holding you maybe in a, in a more stagnant kind of place? And be purposeful about that. Um, you know, that can work for administrators as well. Instead of thinking about the org chart, thinking about the social chart that's at work within your school culture. And hey, if you don't even know how to get started, think about Abbott 
elementary and um, think about the main character there. Put put her in the middle and uh, map out her relationships to, to the folks in, in that series as a starting place. And then you can go on and play with yourself. I, I would say that, um, that for leaders, um, if they can speak with as opposed to speaking to, um, aspiring leaders or new leaders that they have a better chance of actually hearing um, what they may be trying to contribute and that um, that new leaders who may be new teachers or just new leaders who have just come to a place where they are aspiring um, that the fact that you don't have a title doesn't mean that you can't offer meaningful influence, that you can be a thought leader in every aspect of school operations. And so don't let the lack of a title hold you back. Um, think like a leader wherever you're sitting and don't be afraid to step in and ask, you know, what about, what if? Oh, I was just going to say these are, these are words actually from Jill, but be brave, be generous. And be grateful. Find people that you can uh, that you can thank. Find people you can laugh with. Find people that you can enjoy your work with, because it's good, good work. And it is contagious. <laughs> <laughs> thank y'all for joining us today, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. Until then, visit us at gcliLeadership.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You'll find all of our links at the bottom of our podcast. And until then, lead on.